Hayden Locke, President and CEO of Maramaca Copper. We're developing the Maramaca Oxide Copper Project in Northern Chile, one of the most unique development stage copper projects in the market, and we've just released our updated mineral resource system. And what an update. Tell us all about it. Yeah, look, it was mostly about infill drilling. We we had spoken to the market uh, at length that this was all about increasing the confidence in our resource to underpin our future definitive feasibility study. And typically, you rarely see any sort of growth uh, in your resource inventory during that period because as you get more geological information things mostly get worse and in our case it's been the opposite it's gotten better uh that the the total global inventory has gotten bigger um and we've we've moved a considerable number of tons into that more important m i category so we've got 200 million tons of ore material and nine nearly nine hundred thousand tons of contained copper in that area and so that's going to under, underpin our significant reserve when we just when we finish our definitive feasibility stuff. Right, and, and tell me a little bit about um, you know how this is perceived in the marketplace because you've increased the ton; it's two hundred million tons plus, um, and lots more in the measured indicated category uh, at around that kind of you know four four you know point point four point five um, level. Is that going to be viewed as significant? Yeah, I think in the in the global context, it's still at the smaller end of what is considered globally significant in terms of a copper project. You know, there are some enormous uh, copper projects in the Chilean copper belt, you know, several million tons. But what we like about the Maramaca project is its unique characteristics and its relatively short timelines of production in a time where there is just very little coming on, very little that can can achieve the economic hurdle rates at its current current copper price. So. It's a great result for us. It puts us on the map and it, it really does show that this is a cornerstone asset for us to build a copper company. Right. Okay. And, and, and obviously, copper demand would suggest that we're going to need all, all of the copper we can lay our hands on. But it also got to come down to economics. So uh, resources, one thing. How do we get comfort that this kind of quite tightly packed ore body of yours is going to be economic when do we kind of get to see what those numbers could look like in today's numbers yeah so we've done obviously the pea which is out of date and so we would say to people you know if you want to run your own numbers add inflation and operating costs what you'll find if you do that is this project is not very sensitive to movements in capex or opex uh, it is quite sensitive to movements in copper which is typical amongst uh, mining projects but it is a very defensive asset it's got a lot of downside protection um, even in the case that you've got inflation. So we're, we're in the planning process of taking ourselves into the definitive feasibility study. This resource was required for us to do that. We needed as much in the M&I category as we can. Um, and so we would expect towards the end of the year or early next year, we'll be able to release an updated study that tells us gives us the final answers of what this project's going to look like. Right. And, and again, in terms of strategy for you guys moving forward, I know you're in Chile um, this week and you, you've been having discussions. So, I mean, can you give us some sort of insight in terms of the, the, the types of problems that you're setting yourselves to solve? Yeah. So we had a big strategy session with the full board um, in Chile, which was really to discuss now that we've got this resource, what are our next steps as a company? There is a lot of interest in copper at the moment. You know, we have uh, you know, a lot of people knocking on our door asking us what we're going to be doing as a company. Are we looking for partners? Are we looking uh, to sell the company? And I think what came out of our board strategy session is is going to be a very strong shift now from being an explorer, an early stage developer to, doing, to being a proper developer. Um, we feel that in terms of technical risk and um, 
you know, the, the risks around permitting, we're very well advanced on that. We've done a lot, huge amount of work and we're really um, well positioned for that. So the next phase is starting to build out the team um, and then execute on the submissions of our permitting strategy and go straight into the definitive feasibility study. And the definitive feasibility study will be done with an eye on partnering with a group that will eventually construct the project for us. So we are very much shifting now as a company from where we were uh, and we'll see some uh, sort of some material things come out of that in the next uh, three to four months, I expect. Right, but because we, we've seen a few companies kind of change strategy get off the back of you know the inflationary pressures or pressures of last year, and, and to, to a lesser degree this year, um, you know supply dem, uh, chain issues, COVID, etc. So it's been a it's been a time of having to kind of rethink what you set out to do and, and how you can advance the company um, and. Uh, in some cases, keep the company going. For you, it sounds like getting the ability to get into production is, or creating a, a project which has the ability to get into production is quite important for you rather than kind of continuing to build out the, the resource size. It, would, that, would that be fair to say? I think we have reached that inflection point where we believe that the upside that we can potentially deliver, you know, the chances of making a significant discovery um, is still there, but relative to the value of the Maramaka Oxide project, we think it's better for us to accelerate the development to get Maramaka in production and cash flow as quickly as we can um, because we recognise many of these assets need a, a, a lot of uh, tailwinds in order to get them over that hump of getting into production, whereas we as a company don't need that. And um, the project is now of a significant scale and there's there's a lot of value to be added for our shareholders by moving aggressively towards production. Well, why do you, why do you say that? Why the, the, why don't you need these tailwinds? Why why are you impervious to what's going on out there? Well, we're not completely impervious to it, but if you look at our project, and we say this constantly about the unique characteristics of this project, the location means that our execution risk is significantly lower. It also means that our capital cost to get into production is significantly lower than the vast majority of our peers. In fact. In the benchmarking we've done, we think that there are maybe two global global copper projects of significant scale that have capital costs or potentially be capital costs pre-production of less than half a billion dollars. We're one of them. That is a remarkably low capital cost for a copper project in general. Um, and then obviously on the operating cost side, very low strip ratio, very good metallurgical recovery. Our operating costs are expected to be at the low end um, of the cost curve. So it's a very defensive asset. And as a result, our hurdle rates, our ability to finance, our ability to find partners to come in and fund this asset, uh, we don't need a higher incentive copper price. You know, we, we heard, I think it was Ross McEwen saying, you know, he needs at least $4 or maybe even $4.50 to build some of these projects. Um, you know, we could build our project at $2.50. So the, the, the pricing is there for us to make a decision. We've just got to accelerate and start moving this project towards that goal of producing first copper. Not to say we're not going to continue to look for regional exploration, and we've got some ideas about how we do that and how we finance that, but we're very much, as a company, shifting our focus to develop. Right, and obviously, um, you know, CapEx can be a huge destroyer of value for companies for a period of time until you can kind of get that, those cash flows or free cash flows um, moving. So in terms of the accelerating comp component, which you, you've, the phrase that you used, in a market like this, what is the arbitrage between accelerating into a kind of getting to a production decision 
and sort of biding your time and waiting for a, hopefully the inevitability of, of, of a rise in the copper price. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a there's. I think our job, or at least my job, is not to try and time the commodity cycle. I've a view that in the medium to long term, copper price is going to go up very strongly, and in between there will be volatility, and that's going to present opportunities for investors to buy in at a better price. Uh, but we, as a company, should not be thinking about that noise and waiting for the copper price to rise um, in order to continue to move this project forward. Um, what I do know is the market. The window opens and closes, and if we're prepared, we'll be able to take advantage of that to raise money at a better valuation for our share. So the thought process is we get ahead of it. We start building out the um, the infrastructure required to make the transition because it is a difficult transition. Um, you know, arguably, our transition is lower risk because it is a much less risky project, but it is still a difficult transition for companies to make. And so we start that early and uh, continue to march forward. And, um, you know, the discussion with the board was very much, well, let's do that. You know, let's go out and assess how we finance the next phase of development. Let's assess who we want to partner with in the future and let's start to build out that team. Okay, right. Okay. We, you hit upon a, kind of a very interesting point in the second time you mentioned it, which is obviously that transition from advanced exploration through to developer. Stock has reacted quite well this year to some of the messaging that you put out and some of the advances in, in, in the project itself. Um how quickly do you feel that you need to find this partner, understand the economics, you know, either pre the next economic study or, or post the, the next economic study? And what sorts of structures would you consider? Yeah, I think it becomes very important if we're, if we're really going to move towards construction because I have a view that, you know, the Lausanne curve is something that I'm sure all of your investors talk about. And, uh, you know, you can go into that period and it lead up to a definitive feasibility study where the market loses interest and, you know, you see a share path decline. Now, if you're a long-term investor, that might present you an opportunity to buy in at a better price. From my perspective, I, the, the companies that I see that do well during that phase are those that materially de-risk the financing to support an eventual construction once they deliver the DFS. So our focus will be on how can how can we do that? What sort of structures can we put in place uh, that give us a material level of confidence in future investment at a hopefully at a price that's at a premium to our share price? If we can do that, then I think we can arrest some of the you know the negativity that comes with going into that DFS, and uh, hopefully we see a you know a re-rate into into delivering that and moving into construction. So the goal is de-risk portion or or as much of our financing as we can in the in the intervening period okay talking risk um, let's let's talk about the headlines of you know two, well two three weeks ago now where the Chilean government had made some announcements around lithium uh, and nationalization was a word which was used bandied around a lot um have have things got any clearer for you in terms of what that all meant and what the reality of the situation is as far as the Chilean government is concerned with regards to copper. Yeah, it's interesting. And we announced a new joiner to our team, a gentleman named Jose Antonio Marigo, who used to work for SQM. He was the general manager of business development, M&A for SQM. So very, very familiar with the lithium industry, uh, having worked for the biggest, one of the biggest lithium producers in the world. Um, and I think what became clear in my discussions with him is lithium is very, very, very different to copper. It is treated completely differently. In fact, there's a whole uh, there's a whole 
governmental section, you know, regulatory section framework that applies only to lithium and doesn't apply to any of the other commodities found in Chile. And that is a legacy of the Pinochet era when lithium was thought to be potentially able to be used in nuclear ap applications for weaponry and, and, um, and, you know, the Pinochet era said, well, we're not going to allow anyone to just come in and produce lithium from our lands. And that is a legacy. So I think what became very clear in the discussions I had down here is any other commodity other than lithium is, is not going to be treated in that same way. Um, so I've got a huge amount of comfort that copper is not going to be suddenly um, turned around and, and become subject to some sort of arbitrary change that keeps the government um, you know, a significant outsized stake. And we've got to remember they already did that to a certain extent when they formed Cadelco. So there is already a significant government stake in the copper industry anyway. Um, on the second side, which is really about this, uh, we've seen a lot, a lot of improvement actually over the last uh, last six months, I would say. So there was a tax reform which was scrapped. It was voted down, which was very positive. That was less about the mining industry per se, but just about all corporation tax here. And so that was a positive piece of news. And then I think the second thing is the royalty bill continues to be moderated as it moves through the voting process in the Senate. So we saw that they, for 50, some 50,000 tonne projects, there's no change, which is what we always thought would happen. But we said there will be no change to our uh, tax regime if we produce 50,000 tonnes or less. So that's fantastic. They are implementing the new watered down, I call it, or moderated version of the tax um, on mining companies. But the new piece of information is they put a cap on the maximum tax that mining companies can pay. So it's limited at 45.5% for producers of between 50 and 80,000 tonnes and at 46.5% for producers above 80,000 tonnes, which is a really fantastic step and I think continues to show that people here understand that the mining industry is a significant producer of value, uh, but, they're, but they're also being realistic in that they can't pen penalise us too much uh, if we're making outsized returns. It, the, I thought the other interesting thing, and, and like th thanks for that summary, is pretty much in line with everything that we've heard. And you know, we obviously, as a as a owner of an asset in copper asset in Chile ourselves, you know, we were very concerned initially, but it, that that seems to your your comments seem to reflect what we heard and after our investigations as well. So some comfort in that. And here's the other thing I, I, I've noticed through those conversations. Obviously, with the recent elections, um, things have taken a much more conservative leaning um, now and that therefore one presumes pro-business compared to what, a, well, quite frankly, the, the mess of the last couple of years. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I think the, um, the Constitutional Assembly for the rewrite of the Constitution, I think we flagged that we thought, um, and I think I said this previously, what, what the constitutional vote showed is Chile wants change, but they will not have, take change at any cost. They're very, very rational. So they're not going to allow anyone to strong arm them into making changes that don't benefit the country as a whole. Um, and I think that's really been reflected quite strongly in the new constitutional assembly, which is far more, uh, to, as you describe it, conservative or to the right relative to the previous, where it was in some ways hijacked by um, some, some sort of radical factions. And the result was an absolute mess that got voted down very strongly by the Chilean people. So, yeah, we see it as quite positive and we do see it as 
likely to we we still believe that there will be change because it is the it is what the people want and actually when we look at chile we see it <clears throat> when i operate on the ground in chile i see it as quite a centrist uh really political environment people are not that far away other than a few factions um and so we we think we'll see change but it's going to be much more moderated and much more taking into consideration what the people of chile actually want okay so chile investable as far as you're concerned 100% and getting better there was a there was a period there where it was you know there was uncertainty but i think all of these pieces of news that are coming out are just re establishing Chile as a tier one mining jurisdiction in Everard. Okay, and then remind me of the timing on the um, DFS for your oxide project. So we're targeting that we'll kick it off uh, in the second half of this year, which would mean we're releasing the results towards the end of this year or Q1 next year. 